The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Perhaps you're familiar with a TV show series entitled CSI, Crime Scene Investigation. It was very popular. In fact, they had different versions of it with uh, different stars and different locations. One was in Miami, another in New York, another in Las Vegas. But they all dealt with kind of the same stuff. They were looking at the details of crimes. They were kind of taking us behind the scenes of a crime where normally we don't get to go. And they would look into all the little details, things we never thought of, of course, all things that would point to not just the killer, but also who the victim was and what was the reason for that death. It was an interesting show and it sparked a lot of interest in today what we call forensic science. But we're here today to talk about another crime, not one made up for a TV show. We're talking about the criminal death of Jesus. It was a criminal death. He died as a criminal, but because of that, he wasn't a criminal, but because of that, it was a criminal act that was committed against him. So what we want to do over these next few weeks as we are in the season of Lent is we want to do our own CSI, our own crime scene investigation, but we're going to call it a Christ scene investigation. And in particular, we're going to be looking at the cross to see how the details of the cross were played out, not just in that event on Good Friday, but in all sorts of events that were leading up to that event. Our goal is to look for the cross. But today it's Transfiguration Sunday. And you might be thinking, well, there's nothing about the cross in that. But we're going to do a little bit of Christ scene investigation or cross scene investigation and look for the cross. Now, we might be thinking, I already know a lot of stuff about the cross, you know, why Jesus died and all of that. But it's always good for us to relearn and for us to look at some of the finer details of what that was all about. So today we're going to be begin our investigation of that cross scene. And it starts with this scene, the transfiguration, about which we just heard a few minutes ago in our gospel reading. Have you ever had that come up on your computer screen? Maybe you were going to order something or you were going into a a website where they wanted to be sure that you're not messing around with their information. And so they wanted to know if you were a robot or a real person. And of course, you couldn't just check the box to say, of course, I'm not a robot. You had to prove it. Now, one way that they would want you to prove it is they'd put up a picture or something like this. And they have all those little boxes there. And then they give you some directions. For this one, it says, select all the squares with street signs. So they're seeing, really, if you are a person who's paying attention and can do this. Now you look at that and you go, oh yeah, well, all those squares have street signs. But you need to look more carefully at the details. There's also a street sign in that square, and in that one, and in that one, and in that one. You have to look for all the little details of the street sign 
to prove you're paying attention and doing some, let's say, investigative work. Well, we want to do that same thing today with that scene about the transfiguration. Do you see the cross in all the details of that scene? Let's take a look. Let's do some investigating. Well, in that, uh, those shows, a crime scene investigation, they didn't just look at the crime scene itself, but they would look at events that surrounded the crime also, things that were going on in the, in the life of that victim or killer, so they'd do some background looking. They would also look at events that happened after the event to see if that could help them really get the message, what was going on. Well, we want to do that too. Let's start by looking at the events that happened before and after the transfiguration, before we actually look at the transfiguration. So what was going on before Jesus was transfigured? Well, as we look at the rest of the chapter, Luke chapter 9, we see that Jesus had just sent out his disciples into the community to tell people about their need for a savior and that the Savior had come. He had also given them the power that they could perform certain miracles. Well, they come back and they report all this to Jesus and they say, wow, what an effect our message and these miracles had on the people. And then Luke tells us, Jesus fed the 5,000, that crowd of 5,000 plus people, you know, with just a few loaves of bread and fish. Wow. The people were amazed at what was going on. But then Jesus does something else. He has a serious conversation with his disciples, asking them an important question and seeking their answer. Let's listen to what that was. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Now that question that Jesus was asking was a very important one. Who is he? It's a question that still needs to be asked today, and you get all sorts of answers, don't you? You get all sorts of answers because people aren't really sure who Jesus is. They have their own differing opinions. Well, he was a great teacher. He was uh, you know, a prophet of God. He uh, was a, a kind man who really tried to help changed society. He was maybe a social activist, a, a, a revolutionist, but he was one who was badly mistreated by the government. And they missed the whole thing. But not only do they have it wrong, what Jesus is trying to point out with that question is, who do you say he is? You see, it's a, a very personal question, and the answer must come from you, because that's what determines your eternity. 
And Peter had the right answer. You are God's Messiah, the Christ. Which meant you are the one who was appointed by God to be the Savior. In fact, you are God himself. So that little piece of evidence helps us to see something that's very important about Jesus. And Jesus would go on to make a very important announcement at that time. He said to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. That announcement was something that Jesus would repeat again after he came down from the transfiguration. The crowds were waiting for him. They were so excited to see Jesus. And a father brings to Jesus his son, who was possessed by a devil, who caused him to go into very uh, violent convulsions. And Jesus exorcised that devil so that he was healed. And the people were just amazed. But then Jesus once again announced this. They were all amazed at the greatness of God, and Jesus predicted his death. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. Well, what was the purpose of those announcements? And what is it that was hidden that they couldn't grasp? The answer? Jesus is God who is intending to die. That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? That God is intending to die. It helps us understand a little more about the transfiguration then. As Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't really know what he was saying. What was this transfiguration all about? That his face and his clothes are, are shining so bright like lightning? It was the glory of God, the divine glory of Jesus, shining through that, that humble human shell. It was simply the revelation of him as God. 
Well, what about Moses and Elijah? Why are they there? I mean, they've been dead for centuries. Now, there's a lot of different theories as to why these two are are brought back and, and are there with Jesus. I think what we can say with certainty, though, is this. Moses was a leader in the Old Testament, and he's the author of the first books of the Bible, which we refer to as the law. Moses is there as a representative of the law of God. Those things that tell us how we're supposed to live, but how we have failed. Those things that remind us that we need a Savior. And Moses talked about the coming of a Savior. Elijah was one of the famous prophets of Israel. So he's probably there just as a representative of the prophets of that message that God had for his people of, you need a savior and I will send one. Simply put, they are there to remind us that Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He has come to be the one who would save us from our sins and from death. And so just looking at the details of this transfiguration with with Jesus' appearance and with Moses and Elijah there, we can get a pretty good idea of what's going on, but there's still some more. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they, the disciples, were afraid as Jesus and Moses entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This was a strong testimony from God himself who was telling us that Jesus is his son, the one appointed to come to be the Savior. So there's no mistake. The disciples could be certain this is God and their Savior. But it's clear from all of this together that the transfiguration event is just showing us the glory of Jesus. He's really God. And come to be the Savior who would die for our sins. But there's one more little piece of evidence that I think we need to look at before we leave this scene. What was Jesus talking with, uh, to Moses and Elijah about? It says... He was, they were talking about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. His departure. It was not just, a, so when you leave in town, when you're going back up to Galilee, Jesus. No, it was something that he was to bring to fulfillment. So it was something that Moses and Elijah had talked about as prophets of God. The departure that they're talking about is his crucifixion and his resurrection. And what's really interesting is the word in the original Greek that's used for departure, it's the word exodus, which we have as the title of that second book in the Old Testament that tells us about how the children of Israel made their exodus from their slavery in Egypt. It was because of death that was brought on the people of Egypt, but from which 
the people of Israel were saved by the blood of a lamb that was sacrificed for them. This is the exodus that that exodus in the Old Testament was picturing. The death and the resurrection of Jesus that would bring us that exodus from our slavery to sin and its punishment of death. That's what the transfiguration is about. It's there to tell us, Jesus, who is God's son, will die and rise for our salvation. That's the Christ-scene investigation of the transfiguration. Did you see the cross? In my <coughs> emails this week, I had one that caught my, I get a lot of junk email, but this one caught my attention. It said, something wrong? I thought, uh-oh. Then as I'm reading down, I realize it's just one of those ads that I get. It says, hey, Greg, we are 50 days out from Easter, and I noticed that you haven't utilized any of the free CMU, which stands for, way in the bottom, Church Marketing University. I have no idea what that is. We, you haven't used any of the CMU Easter resources yet. Let me know if there is something better or different we could do to help your church. If you're just getting a late start, then I've got good news. We figured out a way to get you into the ultimate Easter kit with just one click. Oh, wow. I could have everything planned out for Easter with just a click. Who would have thought? But here was the point that got me about this email. It says there's something wrong. Yeah, there is. You're missing the cross. You want us to jump over Lent and go right to Easter, that glorious day that Christians love. Nothing wrong with that. But don't jump over the cross. I'm not ready for Easter yet. I'm still figuring out two weeks ago. I've got piles to take care of that get caught up, and now I'm going to start Lent. I'm not thinking Easter. Although this week we have a worship meeting already, planning the Easter service. But I don't want to jump over the cross. It's time for Lent. It's time for a cross-scene investigation. And it starts with the transfiguration. Maybe it was hard to see the cross and that glorious event of, of Jesus being transfigured. But the cross was there. Maybe hidden. But there was also some hidden glory in that cross. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that glory in the cross when he wrote this. And Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, here's the conclusion. Therefore, God exalted him 
to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's not jump over Lent. Let's look at that cross and see the glory of our God in his grace to humble himself, to take our place, to suffer and die and rise again to give us salvation. In fact, that's what the writer to the Hebrews urges us to do. He said, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The whole purpose of looking at the cross is so that we don't grow weary, so that we will be encouraged. Now I know that our lives are busy and our lives are so full. Things with our jobs and with school family events, church events, all sorts of responsibilities that we have. But let's not jump over the cross. Let's make sure that we take some time to focus in on it, its power, its purpose, and its message for us. This scene from the Transfiguration ends with this encouragement from God himself. He said, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So let's listen now to what this evidence tells us. Let's listen to the conclusion about the transfiguration. Jesus is the son of God, your savior. Now, when you hear that, you might say, well, I already knew that, Pastor. Good. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people have different views of who Jesus is. A lot of people would just prefer to kind of jump over all of this and just go to the glorious events of how Jesus can help them now, and he certainly can. But they forget about the main reason Jesus came. That question that was asked of the disciples, who do you say I am, is very pertinent to us. Who do you say Jesus is? God has made it very clear from the beginning pages of Scripture, when mankind first fell into sin and a Savior was promised, all the way to the last pages of the Bible, the message is clear. Jesus has come to live and die and rise for you. Your salvation is in him. This week in our midweek Bible classes for the men and for the ladies, we're starting a new topic about how do we know all this stuff about God and, and what did the people of the Old Testament know? You know, we have it very blessed in that we have the whole Bible to give us that revelation of God, but what do those people have or know about God who didn't have that full Bible at the time. We're going to look, and we'll be surprised 
at what they knew about God. We know he's our Savior. And what's about to happen, it's all about us, our salvation. You know, people get real excited about Christmas. Oh, they look forward to it and all the events and all that stuff. And people don't get so excited about Lent, right? I haven't seen any Lent decorations up. I haven't heard of any Lent parties or, or other Lent concerts or things like that. Lent is pictured as more of a, a downtime, right? We're talking about our sorrow over our sin. Nobody gets excited by that. But it's all necessary for us to really understand what Christmas was about and what Easter is all about. But let's not jump there yet. If you would have known what was going to happen at the Transfiguration, would you have tried to go there? Wouldn't you like to want to sneak up on the mountain with those other disciples to see all of that? You wouldn't want to miss it. But don't miss what the cross is telling you. Its purpose and its power. The transfiguration changed Jesus physically. It changes us spiritually. The cross will change you. So as we're ready to go into the season of Lent, come to the Lent services. Keep coming Sunday and hear more cross-scene investigations. And the purpose for that is not just to get you in the pew. It's the purpose to change you. The Apostle Paul talked about how we are changed. After he said Jesus was glorified and exalted, he said, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Keep growing in your faith because of what Jesus has done. But now look how he goes on. He says, and do everything without arguing or grumbling so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I am glad, and I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's continue now faithfully to serve God. Not complaining or arguing, but rejoicing. We have a Savior. We have our salvation. So don't jump over Lent. And it's not just about you being in the pews, but about the cross being in you. Amen.